Welcome back to the second podcast. And we are still continuing with the book Ghosts of Sussex. And our second chapter that we are reading now is called Haunted Inns. Haunted Inns. When Mr. Bill Harmon and his wife Elsie moved into the Stag Inn in Kemp Town, Brighton in 1979, nobody said anything to them about a ghost. The pub predates the Kemp Town development and is over 300 years old. It used to be a coaching inn. The first person to see the ghost was the Herman's son-in-law, Joe Prothero, who had helped the Hermans with the move and was spending the night sleeping in the kitchen. In the early hours, Joe came running upstairs with his hair standing on end because he had just seen a ghost. He said the figure was of a tall man wearing a large apron and he had a black band around each arm. The ghost walked straight through the wall. Since then, Mr. Herman had seen the same figure himself in the corridor. He and the pub regulars, who were naturally very interested in the going-on, decided to call the ghost Albert. Their theory was that he was a former landlord. Albert made his presence felt in other ways too. One of his favorite tricks being to disconnect the keg beer gas line, which has happened quite often. An idea which causes amusement to the regulars is that Albert might be expressing his disapproval of modern beverages and a barrel of beer has also been flung down the stairs when nobody was about. Certainly, Albert never lays so much as a ghostly finger on the taps of the real ale. The Hermans grew quite used to Albert. They respected his right to stay on at the stag if he felt like it, and after all, he had done nothing spiteful. Therefore, they had no intention of approaching anyone to come and exercise the place. This acceptance probably caused Albert to quiet down, because by September 1983, Mr. Herman said that Albert had not done anything for over a year. One had the impression that he was quite sorry about it. Though the pub has since changed hands, Albert has not disappeared and is still around, playing his favorite trick of turning off the keg beer. Our next inn is an historic one called the Crab and Lobster, which until the 18th century was known as the Swallow Inn. Presumably, the ghost who haunted the premises would remember it as the Swallow. His presence was felt most strongly up in the attic, and Mr. Brian Ferry, the barman, said in 1974 that he would not venture up there day or night. Many people have seen the ghost and describe him as a tall man dressed in uniform and wearing a cloak and riding boots. The popular legend behind the haunting is that during the Civil War, after Chichester had fallen to the Roundheads, Royalist Sir Robert Ernley, his two nephews and some friends rode to Sidlesham, hoping to embark for France. But they were pursued by a troop of parliamentary soldiers, and a fierce fight ensued on the quayside. The nephews were killed, and Sir Robert was carried into the inn mortally wounded. Another version of the story is that all the cavaliers, except one, was killed, either by sword or by drowning as they tried to escape across the mudflats. The survivors fled to the Swallow. Unfortunately, the Roundheads decided to celebrate their success at the inn, and the cavalier was discovered. He was killed at once. 
The ghost was exorcised some years ago, but if the ghost is now quiet, the legend lives on and the people are still turning up asking about him, some from as far afield as Canada. Pubs are supposed to be a place of good cheer and especially so when the landlord is a popular man. George Gutzell, landlord of the Queen's Head, Iglesham, was so well liked that when he died at about the turn of the century, his customers and friends decided to give him a rousing sound off. His coffin was brought into the pub and everyone drank his health. George himself must have appreciated the gesture heartily, so much so that he was reluctant to leave his pub. His ghost was often seen sitting in his favourite chair, dressed in waistcoat and shirt sleeve, an old man with a beard. But there was nothing in the least ethereal about him. He looked as solid as the next man. Mr. Tony Crumdell was landlord of the Queen's Head for 25 years and saw George quite often, as did many other people. Even today, George's comfortable chair is kept ready for him and even sometimes a glass of whiskey placed in ready beside it to encourage him. But his visits are now rare. The castle at Chichester boasts no common or garden ghost, but a Roman centurion no less. People have inferred that the ghost was a centurion by the imperious way he causes the doors to open when he stalks through the place. The castle is built hard by a section of the old Roman wall. The first Roman defences at Chichester were built at the end of the 2nd century AD, and a century later they were rebuilt and strengthened. They were built to enclose an area of 90 acres in which some 2,000 people lived. It was a time of unrest and declining Roman power in Britain. The nearby palace at Fishbourne was destroyed by fire at the end of the 3rd century AD, so one can imagine how anxiously a centurion would pace the wall of Chichester. The Red Lion at Hu was built in 1595 overlooking the tidal marshlands as it then was, and it has been an inn since the early 17th century. Many pubs lay claim to being original smugglers inn, but the Red Lion's claim is entirely valid. It has the ghost of a smuggler to prove it. An old tobacco mill still rests in the attic. It was locally made of wood and iron, and a machine was used to shred the tobacco which arrived in smuggled bales of tobacco leaves. It is said that although the machine is still alive, the noise of the illegal grinding can be heard to this day. The present landlord is Mr. Keith Barton, who took over from his father in 1968. The Red Lion has been in the hands of the same family for three generations. During all those years, the Barton family and their resident ghost have grown used to each other. Mr. Barton's father tells the story of how he woke up early one morning and saw the ghost standing at the foot of the bed. He was wearing an old-fashioned long overcoat with full shoulders and he walked towards the wall where he vanished. The wall the ghost was heading for is in fact a built-in cupboard and, by flicking a peg, part of the panelling opens inward and provides direct access to the attic in the roof. It is difficult not to see the ghost as belonging to an old smuggler retracing his footsteps to the illegal tobacco mill in the attic. Early one evening, a customer was sitting at the bar, quietly sipping his beer 
when suddenly he hurried over to the other side of the room. One being asked the reason, he explained that he had seen a man dressed in a long old-fashioned great coat come out of one of the doors and head across the room towards the ladies. The customer, being helpful, rushed over and said, Sorry, mate, you can't go in there. But the man vanished. The customer was a little shaken because the ghost had looked so solid and ordinary except for his old-fashioned coat. The King's Head at Chuckfield has a ghost with a colourful name. She has been dubbed Geranium Jane by the pub's employees with a touch of black humour because geranium are supposed to have been the cause of her untimely death. The story goes that the young girl who was a servant at the King's Head was seduced by her employer. When she became pregnant, her lover either became worried or disenchanted. At any rate, he dropped a pot of geraniums on top of poor Jane's head as she was passing beneath the window. Since then, her ghost has haunted the pub, and not surprisingly, she prefers to disturb men. If any man connected with the pub is having an affair, Geranium Jane gets particularly upset and she will come and give the bed a good shake in the middle of the night, while at the same time causing the temperature to plummet. Some children have seen Geranium Jane. Two of them were playing quite happily upstairs while their mother was working in the bar, when at midday they rushed downstairs saying they had seen a woman with makeup on her face. What had frightened them was that the makeup appeared to be streaming down her face and a few years ago a cleaner was busy one morning downstairs and a little boy was playing with his toy car in front of the fireplace when he startled his mother by asking her what those white hands were doing fluttering about. Since then, Geranium Jane seems to have settled down. The King's Arm Rutherfield was certainly haunted in the early 1950s. A ghost was never seen, but footsteps were heard, and oddly enough, it was always on an evening in June. At the time of the manifestation, the landlord was the Sussex and England cricketer Maurice Tate. On June evening in 1953, Miss Kate Tate was in a bar with her son, daughter and daughter-in-law, when suddenly they heard heavy footsteps running heartedly up the stairs and along the passage. They thought there were intruders in the house, so upstairs they well went to check. But there were nobody in the corridor or in any of the bedrooms which opened off it. These footsteps have been noticed first of all in 1952. In June 1954, the new licensee, Mr. Hilary Ball, heard the footsteps again at about the same time as usual. Although he described the footsteps as hurried, he said the tread was light. On the next anniversary in June 1955, when everybody was confidently awaiting the footsteps, the ghost failed to walk. One of the bedrooms was labelled by the Tate family as the special room. Maurice Tate was once in this room when he felt somebody touch him. It was such a deliberate gesture that he thought it was one of the children and asked, What do you want? He turned around but he was the only person in the room. The Oak Inn at Ardingley was granted its first ale license in 1725, so pints have been pushed across the bar for some considerable time. Three labourers' cottages were knocked into one to form the pub. It is an event 
which causes the Oak Inn to be haunted. Legend has it that a man from one of the cottages abducted a young girl, who naturally feared the worst. She managed to escape and hid in the orchard at the back of the cottage. But it did not take long for the man to discover her hiding place. He was so incensed that he killed her on the spot. The poor girl has been walking the floor of the Oak Inn ever since. People who have seen the ghost describe her as having long dark hair and she wears a grey cloak. The landlords are Mick and Dorothy Hart from London, who although they have not seen the ghost themselves, have eyewitnesses amongst their regulars. One lady called Cheryl has seen her at about 6pm and she appears from the back of the pub and walks towards the Ingle Nook fireplace where she sits quietly. One of the Hart's friends is a man who refuses to be left alone in the bar after having experienced a brush with the ghost. One night he was sitting at the bar on his own when he felt a vigorous push on the back. Supposing that he had got on somebody else's way, he turned around to apologize, but there were nobody in the room. What the hearts have noticed are odd incidents like a bunch of keys leaping off a table and the pint mugs suspended on hooks above the bar which started to swing by themselves. The hearts connect these evenings with the old settle being moved out of the ingle hook in 1983. Apparently the ghost did not approve of this action at all. The settle was moved back. But since then the settle has been moved again without obvious comment from the ghost. Perhaps he is resigned to it now. Christine Pierce liked the atmosphere of the seventh star at the Roberts Bridge as soon as she stepped inside the, in early 1980s. She also had a curious certainty that she and her husband would be offered the pub. However, it did not seem a likely prospect at the time because there were 69 other people who also wanted the chance to run this historic pub, which dated back to the 14th century. But she was right, and Mike and Christine Pierce and their three children moved into the Seven Stars. Christine did have her reservations though, because she had been told the pub was haunted, and she did not know how she would cope with that. As with so many haunted houses, a change in the tenancy seems to stir the resident ghost into activity. Chris had only been at the pub two nights when she heard the ghost walking about. It was the night when she was in bed. The footsteps sounded very loud, stomping through the house. At the same time, she felt totally mobilized and she lay there rigid with fright. She could not even speak to wake up her husband, who was sleeping peacefully beside her. The Pierce Cross Collie dog had a similar reaction at a certain place in the upstairs corridor. His fur stood up, his eyes bulged, and he could not move. Chris had to pick him up and carry him downstairs. Once he was away from the cold spot, he was perfectly normal again. Tradition says that the cold spot in the corridor marks the place Francisan monk was hacked to death by some roundheads during the Civil War, and it is his ghost which haunts the Seven Stars. Some people called him the Red Monk after the color of his habit. But the color is russet brown rather than ruby red. The monk has white hair. When the Pierces wanted to attend a friend's wedding, they could not leave the pub unattended because of the insurance conditions. 
An old friend called David said he would be happily to oblige. He is a down-to-earth fellow and an ex-naval officer, so the peers had no qualm about leaving him on his own in the haunted pub. When the time came for David to go to bed, he settled down quite comfortably. He had dropped off to sleep when suddenly he felt someone shaking him awake. Puzzled, he got out of bed and checked the pub to make sure all, does, all was well. When he was certain there was nothing wrong, he turned to the bed and was soon fast asleep again. For the second time he was woken up by something shaking him and pulling the bed covers away. So he got up, switched on the lights and toured the building as before. He tried to go to sleep afterwards, but when he was disturbed a third and fourth time, he went downstairs muttering, I give up, and spent the rest of the night awake. When the pierces returned, the first thing David said was, Don't you ever ask me to spend a night here in my own again. Later they discovered that three houses in Roberts Bridge has been burgled that night, and Chris likes to think a friendly spook was keeping an eye on the pub, and by keeping David awake had made sure that the premises remained safe. A psychic friend told her that there was a sympathetic spirit present, presumably a different entity to that of the murdered monk. Ghosts are one thing, but the Seven Stars also has poltergeist activities. Chris was washing up in the kitchen when about 15 mugs which were standing on the second shelf suddenly shot across the room and shattered against the wall. When there was a repeat performance with another person present, Chris decided the shelf had better come down. So it was removed and this seems to cure the problem. On another occasion, Mike Pierce was busy upstairs when he heard voices talking in the, in the cellar quite distantly. He knew nobody was supposed to be there, so he went down to investigate. He found nothing, so he went back and resumed his work. When he heard the talking again, he thought, I'll catch the so-and-so this time, and he raced down the stairs. As he did so, he heard a terrifying crash, and when he arrived at the cellar, he found an empty large barrel had been flung across the room and was wedged in a corner while about 300 empty bottles had been tipped out of their crates and lay scattered all over the floor, but none of them was broken. Not surprisingly, the Mermaid Inn at Rye is one of the most photographed houses in Sussex. It has associations with the notorious Hawkthirst gang of smugglers, and according to a witness, they were once seen drinking in the inn. Seated at the window with their loaded pistols, laying ready at the table. However, the ghost at the mermaid doesn't seem to have any smuggling connections. Miss May Aldington bought the mermaid just before the Second World War and she had heard about this supposed haunted chamber. So she had a female psychic decide to spend the night in it. They grew tired as they waited and they both fell asleep. Miss Aldington was woken up by the clash of steel and she was amazed to find a close-fought duel being enacted around her bed. The duelists were wearing dublé and hose and the fight was fast and furious until one of the combatants was killed. The victor then calmly hauled his victim to the corner of the room where he dumped him down an obliette. The psychic woman slept through it all. And so here ends the second chapter of Haunted Inns. I am very sorry if some of my pronunciations weren't correct. 
I don't live in England and you guys have got a lot of weird names for weird places that we are not used to saying. But anyway, thank you for listening and please come back for the next one. Cheers.